What's going on and welcome back to the Eastern Current Podcast. I've got some great buddies around the table with me today. The TNL table that uh, TNL table is built for our podcast specifically. Y'all can check them out on Facebook or their website, but they just, they built some really cool wood stuff. So that I, I would love for y'all to, to go check them out. But today we're going to talk about most, we're going to, we're going to really chat a lot about fishing post front. We're sitting in the middle of a really big front right now, heavy north winds, 40 miles an hour, rain coming a little bit later on this week. And, you know, that can do a lot of changing to the fishery um, itself, to the fish's behavior, to where they're hanging out, to migration patterns, especially in, in the fall like this. Um, so we're going to we're gonna dive into that. We might talk about a lot of other stuff too, but that's going to kind of be our main focus that we, we target. But knowing us, we get down quite a few rabbit holes. But uh, let's kind of go around the table and everybody talk about, tell me who you are, tell me your guide service, tell me your favorite fish to catch. Uh, well, I'm Ozzy, and I run Marker 23 Inshore Adventures out of the greater North Topsail area, New River, Swansboro What area. makes it greater? Um, it just sounded good. <laughs> I, I felt like that was a really professional thing to say in front of that uh, sentence. <laughs> it sounds good. Sorry to throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yep, that's where I'm from. That's who I am. And my favorite species to catch is definitely a speckled trout. But my favorite way to fish is sight fishing, so... That sucks. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, sight fishing speckled trout's awesome, but that's a tough feat, at least it here. Is. It definitely is. But Mr. Um, Bell? I'm Michael Bell. Uh, I work with Judd at Eastern Angling, and probably sight fishing redfish. That's my favorite thing to do. I like it. What's your favorite scenario, sight fish redfish? Mm, that's a tough one. I think every scenario has its own, like, pros and cons. It does. It but does. I mean, probably waking fish is the best. Like, just being able to see them from such a long distance, but cruising fish, where they're just kind of popping up randomly, singles and doubles, that's probably my favorite. That, that's that's a good one, for sure. It's very nice. nice. Mr. Uh, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Kidwell. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. I'm with uh, Wilmington Fishing Expeditions. You can find me at ilmfishing.com or jeffkidfishing on Instagram. Um, favorite fish to target probably would be kind of bread and butter would be redfish. I mean, I, I really enjoy chasing tarpon, but we don't really have the opportunity all that often. So I'd have to say, you know, redfish is, is probably my favorite, favorite scenario. Favorite scenario. Uh, favorite scenario, man, probably low tide belly crawlers. Just stupid shallow, scraping your boat to get up there. And even inside of that scenario, what's the perfect the, like two o'clock, thirty feet moving away, coming to you. Like what eleven is o'clock the, for sure. Eleven o'clock. Oh yeah. yeah, all day away from you to you. Forty-five to me to you. I think that first scenario you explained was like a backhander. Yeah, that's a tough one. That that's a tough, a tough one. one, but that's a reward, very rewarding one. Yeah, you know, early on in my fly fishing career, not that I'm super experienced or anything. I got really good at backhands and still had a trash forehand. So I would step up. <laughs> That's a good way to start. I fished like a lefty, man. I preferred it backhand for the longest time. So many people are afraid of throwing the backhand, but it's the same. Yeah. You just drop it on the back cast. That's where y'all's rigs come into play, though. After pulling the Mavericks around, it's so easy to spin the guy on the bow, like compared to my Ranger Phantom, to just stick your pole out to the side. Y'all's pivot so much faster to give that angler the, the, the forehand cast. I think that is one of the benefits of that boat. You can spin it so quick and quietly. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. Yeah, you don't sure. realize that until you hop on a boat that, that's not like that. But it's, an, it's a very nimble boat, the HPXS is, for sure. Yeah. My name's Judd Brock. 
Eastern Angling Guide Service, and my favorite fish to target would probably be, I mean, it's, I would say redfish is my bread and butter, but I think uh, blind casting for Spanish in like 60 feet of water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not my favorite. Uh, my my favorite would probably be sight fishing for redfish with a fly rod that, that we can do here in North Carolina. My favorite is low tide tailor, single fish, not moving much. So the angle of the game is much tighter. Mm. You know, it, it, I think it challenges you a little bit more. Yeah. And I blow a lot of those shots, but they're fun shots to take. You know, they're you got to get it in that little little honey zone and hope the fish finds it and thinks it's his idea. And do you like it. it to be a single or like a double or a group of fish? I like a single. I like that one-on-one, 1v1. But I like there to be like three more singles that I can already see. So when I blow that first shot, I'm like, all right, pull me up to the next one. <laughs> it's the best. It is the best. And then, I mean, those days are great where you can just uh, just work down a bank and catch one or blow one, but you already see the next one. You're like, you're, you're telling your guy on the bow whether it's a client or friend, don't worry, let him blow out. There's another one coming out of the bank. Get ready, strip in, strip in. All right, throw it out there. Oh, you blew that one too. All right, next fish. Let's go, let's go. Favorite, favorite fly to throw in your favorite scenario? My favorite, this is like just dream scenario here. If I could throw a gurgler to a tailor at low tide, that'd probably be yeah. my favorite. They're, they got their head down, and you do that. You got to get in that right spot, and that bloop, and you see them like stop and like slowly look up, and they see it, and they, they kick, and bloop, bloop, and whoosh, It's the best when, it. when they're real shallow like that because they'll expose their eyes a little bit. Yeah, it's like they're peeking out the top of the water looking and at they're it. And they're like, oh, shit, there's the boat. Yeah. <laughs> They they eat it and see the boat as they're eating it and kick off. So that's uh that's that makes that that first little run pretty awesome. But uh, so let's dive into the main topic for the week, talking about post front fishing. I always try to if we can if there's a big weather event like this, you know, on the podcast in the past we've talked about ways to conquer that, ways to fish around that, or what you need to be looking for. Um, why don't, Jeff, you're the weatherman. I'll usually call you. I'm like, Jeff, what do you think about tomorrow? So why don't you kind of talk about the weather that we're getting right now, what we're dealing with, so that people that might be listening to this later on, that don't, don't when this podcast drops, they might, might be able to understand what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, we've got like a, a late season tropical depression moving up the coast. So we've got some pretty heavy winds, um, colder temperatures, and definitely some rain coming. So pretty big storm. We'll see how it, it, it re, you know, the fish react to it. Usually, you know, you've got fish acting one way right before the front hits, and they act a certain way during the front and then post-front. So I think we're going to try and kind of cover all those scenarios, and we'll just dive right into it. Yeah, it's kind of – oh, sorry, what were you going to say, Mike? I was going to say, this one's kind of unique because with a tropical storm versus just a normal front coming through, like normally with a normal front, you just get a – one particular wind direction so whether it's a northern or a southern or whatever so you're gonna get clean water per se on certain banks or certain areas but with the tropical storm where it's rotating that wind direction is going to change over the next few days so that wind and that clean water isn't necessarily going to stay in any one particular place yeah that's the biggest kick in the pants from the whole thing yeah like this is the most unique kind of scenario or cold front or whatever you want to call it um versus you know something else for sure i expect the when it's all said and done because of the 180 in wind direction the the fishable water the calm water or whatever is going to be the dirty water so that's what's going to yeah. really suck yeah is, is that what we can fish is not going to be super clean yeah it, it always sucks with these big fronts with that the, the changing wind you get yeah. back on the water and it's like you know where do i start you yeah. know and and, and fit, you might have left a bunch of fish in an area and you go back and they're not there 
big moves. We're also dealing with big tides right now, being yeah. a full moon during this big front. So that's going to push fish around even more. Like fish move on, you know, these fronts, but they also move on these big tides because it gives them water and time to travel from one spot to another. And this time of year, they're already moving. There's a lot of factors about moving fish. I'm getting stressed out just talking about this. <laughs> I don't want to get a Monday. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's a good kind of overview, you know, bird's eye view of, of this this front. And we get this. This happens every year this time of year. I mean, you get these big north blows. And sometimes it's nor'easter. This happens to be, you know, a tropical storm. But when you get that suction of north wind that we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of weird cause like in the mornings it'll be really cold, but it's still that like tropical storm pushing on you too. So like right now it's this morning, it was f- felt really cold for North Carolina and now it's like 78 degrees outside. No. So it, it's just a lot of changing for these fish. What do you, what, what does the barometric pressure do? Ozzy, you're a good barometric guy. What does the barometric pressure do on, on, on a front like this? So it's going to bottom out before. As it's coming through, as it, it before it ever gets to that pre-front, it's going to bottom out. Um, so yesterday we had 29. I actually just looked when you started talking about fronts. Check oh, the nice. app. And um, as that front gets on top of us, it's going to creep back up to pretty high, but it's going to creep up pretty pretty fast, a lot yeah. faster than it dropped. Um, and then it's just going to stable out pretty moderately high. Um, when that That's what you would consider your bluebird barometer. Um, it's going to be gorgeous outside. Might still be blowing. But blue skies, gorgeous weather, but terrible barometer. For for the person that doesn't pay attention to that, you get out there and you're like, oh, perfect day to fish. You know what I mean? And you're mm-hmm. like, where are all the fish? Why are they all spooking from 70 feet away? You mm-hmm. know? But it, it's that, that barometric pressure change. During that swing of, of barometric pressure change, where would you say, let's say speckled trout on that swing, what's the best time to be fishing? Right before the front and right in the middle of the front. When right. that is slow slow barometer moves or a bottomed-out barometer. Gotcha. But when, it, when it's... Um, rising really fast like right at the tail end of that front to the the post front i don't like that yeah it's it moving too quick would you say all across the board redfish trout flounder oh for sure um i think some fish are more honest and reliable than others but um i think they're all affected to it to some degree for sure for people that are maybe listening to us talk about barometric pressure and don't know kind of where to check that give us a quick crash course on barometric real quick and then tell tell me the app you use yeah, the app I use, I'm going to pull it up. I'm pretty sure it's just called Barometer. It's nothing tricky. Yeah, it's just called Barometer. Um, and what was the first part of your question? Well, just give me a, a like a 30-second crash course on, on how the barometric pressure relates to fish. I know you kind of did, but like if you're looking at that, that to kind of understand what mm-hmm. the day is going to be like. Yeah, so barometric pressure is obviously the, the pressure from the sky coming down on us. Fronts affect that. Um, but the nitty-gritty without getting – into the weeds about it is um it's just gonna affect their mood that's yeah. about it um yeah. there's gonna be some barometers that make them ornery and in some where they're gonna be happy so overall would you say like a high barometer pissy fish low yeah. barometer happier fish yeah yes i would say yes for a good rule of thumb but i think watching that needle speed uh, yeah. the good thing about needle speed yeah you know like a <laughs> needle speed podcast <laughs> There's a needle. It looks like a speedometer or any other kind of meter, and there's a needle on it. And the faster that needle's moving day by day, um, I don't like that. But if it's so the m- more it moves, yeah, I think it's, it's more you know stability yeah, versus yeah, that's high right. and low. That's exactly. I've always said that. high and happy, low and slow. Yeah, as far as you know, what's better? But gotcha. I think well, it's more more the stability of. I totally it agree. Is. Yeah. yeah, and when it's moving that fast, that's I don't, I'm not really a fan of that for sure. 
It seems sure. like the fishing always turns on for like the day or two right before in that pre-front when Absolutely. that barometer is dropping and right when it bottoms out. And then it takes like three to four days, depending on the fish. Once that barometer spikes back up for those fish to reach back to that sta- you know, stable, desired, happy spot. Yeah, Even if, if the like barometer a... stays high, it just takes them a few days to get over that that change again. So if you've got like a stable high, essentially, fish are going to be pretty happy. And then, yeah. then that, that dropping, that pre-front. So there's a few different places on that barometer that are good fishing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, I think speckled trout more than any in the in the saltwater world, in the inshore saltwater world, are, are affected and play by that barometer rule pretty pretty heavily. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. You can, you, I mean, if you if you follow that, you could fish one day, whack them, and then have a different pressure the next day and go back, and it feels like there's not a single fish there. That's right. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the size of the bladder in the fish in relation to its size. Absolutely. That's, I would that's be. What, that's what the pressure is affecting. A larger bladder would be, they'd be more affected, right? Right. Because I would be very unaffected. That's what makes them neutrally buoyant. <laughs> they can contract and expand their bladder to gotcha. make them neutrally buoyant in the water. Gotcha, gotcha. That's the theory behind it, why the barometer affects them so much. That's right. That's correct. So aside from the barometer, you know, let's say it's Saturday. Somebody that's listened to this podcast has had to work all week, and the barometric pressure probably looks pretty crappy for the weekend for that Saturday bite. But what are some of the ways that y'all found that you can kind of conquer that, that you know, crappy weather? If you're if you're going to go fishing, it's post-front. It's going to be tough. I mean, that's what – when we're all going to be able to go out and fish again, it's going to be post-front because it's – Unless you want to go fish in 40-mile-an-hour winds. So what what are some of the tactics that y'all found that, that might help get fish to eat or, you know, be able to locate and catch fish during, you know, a post-front scenario? I think things change so much that you really got to, you know, cover some ground, especially right. on these bigger tides where it's not really, you know, it's not bottoming out. Uh, our low tide's probably going to be at two feet these next couple of days, so it's never getting low enough. Those fish are swimming all over the place. They're spreading out. So anything that you can cast really far and work quickly, top waters, spinner baits, spoons, things like that, that can really just cover lots of water and try and, you know, get a lay of the land all over again. If you're on fish in that scenario, like you know there's redfish around and, and you're trying to, like, you know, finesse fish them, if you will, to get them to bite when they don't want to bite, what are some of the, the baits you kind of tend to lean towards? When Anybody. I, when I get picky fish, number one thing I do is, is downsize my bait. Yeah. And that they, whether I'm big speckled trout fishing, go to a smaller mirror lure or a smaller soft plastic, or if I'm red fishing, smaller soft plastic, um, whether it's that Z-Man TRD on a, um, what are they called with mushroom heads? Ned head. Ned head. Whether it's on a Ned head or, you know, picking up like an MR9 or something like that, first thing I'm going to do is downsize my bait if the fish are being picky. For sure. Probably incorporate some some live bait or cut bait or or some scent on your lures, yeah. you know, procure or maybe some gulp, some stuff like that, just to you know boost it up a little bit for sure. Let's say cadence changes. Yeah, that's gonna be the big one for me, especially like top waters and stuff. I've been slow working down. fast or whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna slow them down. I'm gonna change how sloppy I am with them. You know, how splashy or whatever it may be. Um, Make an easier target, if you will. Yeah. You know, you're going to change, if you're throwing a mirror lure or something, change your pause, change your your timing on that part. For sure. You know, twitch, twitch, pause for three seconds. Well, now twitch, twitch, pause for five, ten, fifteen seconds. Yeah. So. It's crazy on a mirror lure sometimes when you're, 
you play around with that pause and your weight. I mean, to let a bait sit for 12, 15 seconds and then get a yeah. bite is pretty, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, I, I would jump on, on, on what Michael's saying for sure. Slowing it down, keeping a bait in the bite zone longer, the strike zone longer, giving that fish a little bit more time to think about it. Like when they're real fired up, a lot of times you want to get that reaction bite. So when it's coming through there, they're just eating it immediately, but there's a lot more watching the bait and, and those fish kind of, having to make that decision sometimes sometimes giving them a long time hurts you but sometimes post front you know giving them time to to really think about it and pick it up is a good thing and the bait you know if, if you're down to bait fish it can definitely definitely help you out whether it's live or cut bait post front for sure one, go ahead. i was gonna say there's kind of like the the two ideas and i think jeff brought up one is you know cover a lot of water until you find a few fish or find a fish and then it's like that mentality of do you stick and stay and make it pay or do you keep covering water? Yeah. Because not all the time, but a lot of times if you find one fish, especially talking trout, there's probably another one there. You may have triggered one fish, all right, and then you haven't gotten another bite for 10 minutes. What can I do to change that? Yeah. Is it changing the bait, changing the cadence, whatever? Don't just say, oh, that's the only fish there. You know, if I'm trout fishing, I got four rods rigged up and ready to go sitting there, and I'm changing through them constantly all day long when I go from spot to spot to spot. For sure. Oh. One thing about changing cadence, there's nothing more annoying when you're, like, on your fifth or seventh cadence change, and you get the bite, fight the <laughs> fish, and you're like, crap, what was I doing? What did I? What cadence did I do just now? Or like, what did I do just a little different that time to get the bite, and you can't remember? Yeah. It, it's funny, man, cadence changes. Like, sometimes you'll be trout fishing a bank, and you haven't gotten a bite. And then all of a sudden, like, somebody gets a text, and you, like, hold your rod under your arm for a second, like, pull your phone out, and you're looking at it, and then you just, thump, like, you get that bite under your arm, and you try to reel down and, and hook the fish. Like, you're like, oh, crap, they want it, like, dragging the bottom. They want it slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a th- that's always awakening. And, and But then sometimes you'll you'll start giving it, like, 15-second pauses. You never get another bite, and then you start working it fast again. I mean, that that's the fun thing and the super annoying thing about fishing is it's, like, these hard, fast rules that aren't always hard, fast. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely particular with trout. I mean, sure. I think it's all fish, but particularly trout. Yeah. I mean, I think me and Mike fished one day early early on in the season, and we're fishing the same bait, same rod, same pretty much everything. And side by side, side on by the side, same spots, everything. And he's just twitching it slightly. Actually, you know what? I think the bait was slightly smaller. I think I was fishing a half ounce. You're fishing a quarter ounce, something yep. like that. Was there a leader difference too? Uh, there might have been a leader difference. I think I was at the start, but after like the first two fish, I think he was he switched leaders too. Yeah, so. I think I, yeah. But I mean, he went almost the whole day, eight to ten fish without without me catching a single one. And I was that That's client, crazy. like, what are you doing differently? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good feeling and a bad feeling. It's a pretty yeah. good feeling though, especially when you're fishing with your buddies. Oh yeah, yeah. and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, I'm just I'm just freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> It's usually not me though. It's usually whoever I'm fishing with. It's uh, it, what's funny too. Like this year, I feel like I usually outfish people with the DOA. Not always, but I feel like I usually outfish people. Oh, yeah. And I've had a lot of clients smoke my butt this year on the DOA, <laughs> where I'm like, "Golly, what are you doing? How can I change it up?" I mean, for the first two years of Judd fishing the DOA, just standing beside him or fishing, you know, one boat length down from him and not getting a bite or getting one to his like five fish, and then. Like you said, this year I've fished some with my clients and like want to make sure that we're not missing fish in an area and I don't get hit and they catch fish. Yeah. And I don't know what the difference is. It'd make They're a sweet tattoo. Yeah, it would. It would. So moving from speckled trout to redfish, what do you feel like the post front does to redfish? 
Like a big storm like we're dealing with right now. What's today's date? It is the 9th of November. Pushing them deep, probably. Pushing them deep. Anything on your end, Oz? Well, um, y- yeah. I, I think that we, we give fronts a pretty bad connotation, obviously, because of the next three days after the front sucks. But um, I think the, this particular front is going to do us some good, too. Um, there's certain times of the year where fronts from different directions, low-pressure, high-pressure fronts, whatever the case is, can do some good for our fishery. And uh, I'm optimistic with this one. It might be what we need to um, kind of kick it into the next. I mean, it felt like this fall transition period has been kind of elongated with a couple fronts and then back to warm. And, like, you know what I mean? It's still okay. transition a little bit. Okay. But um, one one thing about these fronts and what the fish do is it, it can definitely kick them into the next stage in the spring and the for fall sure. for sure. Or, you know, out of the fall into the spring, whatever, or winter, spring, whatever order they come in. I think it's fall, spring, winter. Yeah, in North Carolina at least. There's like three falls and a false winter, then an early spring. <laughs> yep. yep. That seems to be. And there'll be like 90 degrees on Christmas. That's usually how it goes. Shirts um, and T-shirts. So fish may be pushing a little bit deeper. I, one of the things, too, I see with redfish post-front is is just them being lethargic. You know, a, really late, a lot of laid-up fish. Not really cruising. I call it making a living. You know, they're working a bank trying to find food, but... A lot of fish kind of just sitting still in, in an area. Uh, and, and and in that scenario, kind of what you were talking about, Ozzy, downsizing seems to really play a good good role into that, or, or downsizing and slowing down. Mm-hmm. So especially blind casting, you know, sometimes it can be pretty intimidating to, like, blind cast a net rig. Mm, absolutely. But if you're – I mean, that that's a bait that I will blind cast, but I need to know I'm in the fish. Like, I'm not going to go fish that. A lot of times, like, you look at, let's say, power fishing. We were talking about speckled trout fishing earlier, but same with redfish. There's the two scenarios of like, all right, you know, I got a bite. I'm going to sit here and milk this spot out and figure out, you know, catch any other fish that's in here. Or like, I'm going to hit a lot of stuff and try to get one to two bites per spot. And I think both can be effective post front, trying to cover water, learn what's going on that day. Um, but then also, you know, I, I, I'm a big, you know, something that kicks my butt a lot of times is moving too much. If I'm in a Same. spot and fish aren't acting, <laughs> even if they're there and they're not acting the way I want them to, I'm like, let's get out of here. Let's go try something else. And I feel like sometimes it's me trying to manage the people in my boats kind of not their personality, their, their mindset, keep them engaged and interested. Cause sometimes when you have them throw 50 times into a group of fish and they don't get bit, they're like, okay, what well, you know, let's change this up. And you know, it's like those fish just don't want to eat that day. Yeah. Um, but, but there are ways to, to kind of trigger those bites a lot of times. And I don't know, I, I'm definitely, I, I fall victim to moving too much sometimes, but did any of y'all feel like you're the opposite of me? Like you, you maybe sit somewhere too long. No. But I would say this is the number one argument me and my tournament partner have. Really? Oh, yeah. He wants to sit and milk it, and he's probably right. He's proven to be right a bunch of times because you only need two bites on tournament day of the right fish. Yeah. And I'm more of a, uh, like you said, fall victim to wanting to run and gun. Um, so number one argument we have is you, you want to sit and milk for the two bites or do you want to keep moving? And, it's like the and grass is always greener mindset. Yep, absolutely. I'm thinking if they're not happy here, they're happy somewhere. We just got to go find right. them. Right. But yeah, I mean, I have that same mentality. I move quick and a lot. Yeah. Until I find something that's good, and then I move slow. You pull fast yeah, until you're fast. In. I've noticed, or even pushing I, a I'll camera boat for that. you two guys. I was like, wow, these guys, I'm apparently slow. Well, that was also because it was, it was just sucky. It was. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah but it was sucky, and I knew we were going to see fish waking yeah. 
So I could just cover ground until I saw something that looked juicy. Yeah, but that's definitely something I picked up from um, fishing with y'all is, is pull fast so you have a reason not to. Because I'm yeah. bad about having a game plan in my head. Like, all right, fish are going to be from here to here. I'm going to pull from here to here slow. But you guys show up thinking, having a game plan, and you pull fast until you're given a reason not to pull fast and, and start picking through a spot. And uh, that's definitely something I've learned from, from you guys that I've picked up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking for a bank with – with one shot on no, it, right? No. You know, you're looking for a bank that's, that's got right. a couple consecutive shots. So pulling fast, covering ground, seeing if fish are on that bank, and then moving on. And we might be different in the fact that we're trying to make the most out of our, what, six-hour trip or whatever. You know, we don't – or as a sight fisherman, you're trying to make the most out of your sunlight. You know, especially right. now that daylight savings, is, we don't have as much sunlight during the day. Um, you're, you're not really – you don't have the time to waste. Mm-hmm. So – I think as a as an intro, as an angler in general, you've got to set a standard for yourself to follow as far as like enough activity. You know, you don't want to set like a lot of times I'm I'm looking for a specific feeling or a specific amount of fish that that I feel we can get it done with, and, and like yeah, maybe I could settle for this bank. There's a few fish, but like I feel like I can find something better. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. you're you kind of and you can tell for the day like what might be happening, but I feel like a lot of weekend warriors, it's like they get in a spot, they might you know, have caught a redfish on top water. So they're like, all right, this is it. I, there's fish in here. And, and, and maybe you settled too early for, for what you're going to dig into instead yeah. of, of maybe lo- looking a little bit more, trying to figure out, you know, what's unfolding that day a little bit more before you kind of really slow down on a spot. And I, I'm, I'm with Jeff. Like I pull pretty quick until I need to slow down. Like I'm, I'll, I'll sacrifice a fish or two, mud a fish or two before I get into that zone. Um, and, and, you know, maybe – it depends on the day because sometimes polling slow and, and, and getting that one shot at the fish that's 30 feet off the bank a little deep and catching him will make your day. Oh. But you might not know soon enough. You might mess up and you might pull too fast and be like, all right, we're just, we're going to blow some fish out to the right deeper. But, you know, we're, we're looking for that, that A shot. Mm-hmm. But some days you need to look for that B shot, you know. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm, I would say I'd probably take the B shot more than pushing quick and going for an A shot. Just because I know, like, all right, I mudded a fish deep. I've seen a fish shallow. I'm going to take my time and pick it apart. All I need is a shot to make the day happen. You know, it's going to be a tough day. I might as well take my time, make sure that we make the most of every single shot versus trying to get that one perfect shot or whatever. But, I mean, moving faster, moving slow, you're looking for the same thing. It's just a difference in... Your expectation. Yeah. yeah. And I think your yeah. expectation, your standard, or all of that, it kind of grows and evolves with you as an angler. You yeah. know what I mean? The first time we all got on a bow, we would have been stoked for one fish. You know what yeah. I mean? So that it's all, you know, I think it's about what you want out of it too. Definitely. One thing that I've noticed too over the years is like you pick up on so much more when you're going slow. Yeah. Like you can, oh, yeah. and you can see movement better when you're going slow. You can see movement really well when you're sitting still because when your body's moving and other stuff's moving past you, it's harder to pick up on those small movements. But, like, if you kind of stake out or you sit real slow for a second, you pick up those little nuances, that little tail lift by a redfish in two feet of water where you got a little bit of blue or, you know, a, a small wake that you don't notice when you're pulling fast. Oh. Um, there's no right answer, but it's no. finding the way you like to fish. Like, there's even in bass fishing, there's power fishermen and there's finesse fishermen, and both win tournaments. But it, you got to find that style that you feel is, is most comfortable for you and that you can succeed at. So... And a lot of it can have to do with your boat, you know, what you're fishing off of, how you're fishing. Like you look at kayak anglers, and I tell a lot of clients this, that those kayak anglers, they, they have to slow down. They've got to fish slow. They are finesse fishermen just by the means of what boat they're fishing on. 
Um, even if they're fishing, you know, aggressive baits, they're fishing slower than somebody on a, on a trolling motor or with a big motor that they can run around. Mm-hmm. And those guys catch a lot of fish and they catch big fish cause they pick apart every inch of the water. Um, so, you know, six, one, half a dozen, the other really, but, but there is, you know, there, everyone's got their style. That's what's so cool is we, all four of us fish the exact same stuff and the same, same areas a lot of times, but we fish very differently. Huh. Well, I think too, like you were talking earlier, I mean, you stick and stay, you go through an area and you pick it apart. You, you learn, all right, the last two fish that I've seen, they've been on oyster bars. All right, I'm going to just take my time. I know there's five more oyster bars down this bank. I'm going to get a shot on every single one of them, or I'm going to get a shot on, on three out of five of them. Yeah. That's going to make it worth it for me versus, you know, covering 300 yards of bank. I, I know there's days that I'm like, oh, hop down to idle. I pull for five minutes because that's the only window that I need because I picked it apart and I'm taking my time on, you know, 100 yards of bank before that. Yeah. And hop down, throw the push pole on the pulling platform, idle five minutes, hop back up there, pull, get a shot, hop back down, you know, and yeah, it kind of sucks, but that's the way to make the most of your day. And I think too, like depending on your client that you have in front of your boat or if it's friends or whatever, what their expectation is or their level of fishing is. So, so for people that aren't sight fishing, yeah, let's look at the same scenario and talk about like, if, all right, what makes you speed up and slow down going down a bank? If you're not seeing anything, but you're still fishing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. It's, okay. It's just like different contours of the bank or just seams in the water, just different, you know, no. things that you want to cast at, right? Ambush points for right. predators. For sure. What are what are some of the things you're looking for when you're going down a bank blind casting? Not let alone the bank. We're not even talking about like what bank, but you, you pick a bank, you're going on the bank, and you can get a cast about every 10 feet, 15 feet. What are those spots that you see that are juicy that you're like, I'm going to land a bait there and, and see? Changing the grass. Change in what about the change in the grass density or points or little nooks? All yeah, I mean, color. This is something, yeah, like uh, the color of the grass is going to tell you what's going on in the bottom below the water, so that can tell you a lot. But I think you could stop the sentence and change, yeah, just something different, yeah, structure, shells, grass, just find change, find something that, and and you, you start to form that theory as you go in and out of that area and you start to learn that area intimately, then you, you'll start to pick it up and put the, the puzzle together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What were you saying, Mike? Well, I mean, soft grass versus hard grass or density of the grass you were talking about, you know, that's going to change where that, if we're talking redfish, that's where it's going to change where he positions. Is he going to be up in the grass or is he going to be out on the edge? That's going to also depend on your tide. That's going to depend on, you know, your weather for the day. For sure. But, um, you know, you look at that grass density change, you get low tide waters out of the grass. All right, what's the next change that these fish can, can sit on or whatever, you know, whether it's a point, oysters, or, you know, a mud flat or a slough, a hole. Once you start picking that stuff apart, then you're going to start putting those puzzle pieces together. For sure. Give me three, all of y'all can jump in on this and I will as well, at, at higher water three, you know, key areas that you want to cast to, and then at low water, it changes drastically. So three key areas that you'd want to cast to, you know, at low water. Jeff, you want to start? Is sure. this species dependent? We're talking redfish. <laughs> gotcha. Tracking. So, so. Re- so the question is, is three things that you would like to be casting at during high water? Yeah, three 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 high percentage casts at high, at high water. Like if you're going on a bank, three things you don't want to miss casting at. Yeah, okay. Um, 
Higher water. One redfish. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever the redfish are. Um, So typically, I like that sparse, broken up grass. Um, Wherever there's oyster bars that are submerged, they typically like to hang around there. Usually they're, you know, drier at low tide, and so there's a lot of food source that they can access at higher water. So oyster beds are a big one. That that broken up, shorter kind of spartana grass, those areas where the fish can easily get in and out on those flats, that's that's a good area. Um, tiny little finger feeder creeks. Yeah. Those are make really good ambush points for, for predators. I guess that would be, that'd be three right there. Yeah, I could almost guarantee you if you just spent – high tide, you took a spinnerbait or a weedless cold spoon and you went and just ran and made 15 casts on every single small creek mouth that had flooded grass, flooded sparse grass around the edge of it with oyster bars at the mouth, you would catch a redfish. And small, like small ones. Yeah, like wide enough, you know, anywhere from like wide enough to barely get a kayak up to like wide enough to get a, you know, a bay boat up, like yeah. that, that kind of small. Big creek mouths too, but but the smaller the, the smaller the let's call it the smaller the structure, if you will, not even structure, but the smaller the, the creek mouth the creek mouth or the zone, the better the chance your bait's going to come past the fish. He's going to orient tighter. The bigger yeah. the creek mouth, the more more space that fish could be. Well, you got to think about where the bait's going to be at. Yeah. You know, all the mullet that you're looking at or all the shrimp that those fish are feeding on are transitioning in and out of that smaller, tighter area. Yeah. And that's what that redfish is sitting there waiting on. Yeah, that top of the fall, or not, not even, the, it depends on how high the tide is, but when... It's getting to that point where the redfish really do need to get out of the grass, but they can still sit on that, like, sparsely flooded stuff at those creek mouths, and then the bait's starting to trickle out. I mean, that's mm-hmm. when those fish, like, suck into those little creek mouths hard. And there's always so much bait there. So yeah. much bait. Unless it's the dead of winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk low tide now. Like, what are I think, Ozzie and Mike? I think you missed a couple there, though. All right, let's hear what you, let's hear what you got to say. I mean, I just think, like, I look at islands. I look at areas. Isolated that, structure. Yeah. Isolated structure or areas that are shallower than others, you know, a bigger sandbar, a bigger mud flat, or something that has grass on the edge of yeah, it. Yeah, isolated creates, grass with oysters is pretty money. That's yeah. something I've started keying in on more the past two years or so. You know, that creates that point or a division with current. Like even some of the big stuff that I fish, like big creeks that are main channels, I'm fishing the edges and the points of them at that high falling tide with topwaters and getting, you know, a redfish blow up 10 feet off the grass and I'm getting the trout blow up 30 feet off the grass. Yeah. But changing your target zone of how close you are to the bank is going to change what, what species you're after. But don't be afraid to apply those same ideas to bigger pieces of water. For sure. So. For sure. The bigger water can just be a little bit more intimidating. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing. But the fish are there for sure. Exactly. I mean, a lot of what we redfish is pretty big water. Yeah. But it's breaking that big water into small pieces. Yeah. That's right. And there's only going to be small, like, just out of the two creeks that I'm thinking of, like, there's a small section of 100 yards, maybe even only 50 yards, depending on the day that I'm even going to fish. Yeah. And I'm going to spend 20 minutes hitting it, but I know that if I do that, the chances of me getting a blow up or whatever from redfish that day is pretty good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You're fishing for those percentages. Yeah. All right, low tide. Low tide, what are you looking for? Yeah, what are three key things to to target at low tide? Mm. Deeper water feeder creeks. Like the gut of that. So same idea as what we talked about at high tide, looking at it at low tide. 
if it's got water sitting out of front of it of a foot deep, there's a good chance there's going to be fish there. Yeah. Um, secondary edges, like yep. those secondary fall-offs further out off the bank. Mm-hmm. That's a can of worms. That, that can be super worms. intimidating. <laughs> it can be. Fishing offshore. I mean, fishing way off, off the, the bank. bank. Yeah, that's I'm not. That's not something I, that come natural to me at all. That secondary, like if you look at our river, we have the shelf, the the, the bank, and then yeah. you get that second off, like second drop off or secondary shelf. That's intimidating. Like your cast <laughs> feel like they go nowhere because you're not aiming at anything, right? And uh, everything you're aiming at is under the water. I've always uh, admired the bass guys that are really good at being in the middle of a lake and and, and catching fish. Yeah. And, not an easy thing to do That's or very not true. an easy thing to get good at well you've got a lot of eelgrass up where you fish you know new river and then same scenario going up into the pamlico you know targeting those fish when the tide's a little bit lower on the potholes and the, the secondary edges is pretty pretty mm-hmm. big but it is so intimidating mm-hmm. that's where like i feel so much more confident like blind casting a top water over stuff like that as opposed to like blind casting a a, a jig or anything like that but yeah for sure that's why the little creek guts are so nice because you're like all right i i know i gotta cast right down where that fish 75% chances he was probably in that if he was here. But when you're on, like, the edge of a large, excuse me, large flat, it's uh, it's different. You know, there's a lot of zone. And, and and angle of how you approach something like that can be huge. Like, if you can work where you can get quartering casts that are going to be on that secondary edge longer on a retrieve can be huge, as opposed to, like, sitting way off and just throwing where that bait's, like, spending a second and a half of the retrieve in that bite zone. So, yeah, man. Some good stuff. Any other low tide things you like? What about you, Jeff? I want to hear what Ozzy has to say. Oh, did I interrupt you? I don't think so. Oh. No. I'm just curious from your perspective because your fishery is a little bit different. Your body of water is a mm-hmm. little bit different. For, for so. sure. I think uh, when we talk tidal swings, low tide, high tide, it's a little different for us because ours is not as dramatic as you guys' are. Um, uh, yeah, what do y'all get, like four and five foot daily? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're looking at like two and a half to three daily and a lot of wind-driven water. Um, we can get certain directions below for a couple of days, and we'll never see a high tide. Um, so with that being said, and just kind of how, how the hydrodynamics work in my area, um, I think I just simplify it probably to a fault. When I, if I'm talking to redfish, I'm looking for a depth. No matter the tide, I'm, I just, I'm looking for this certain depth that they've wanted to be at. So if that pushes me as way, way back into the marsh, at, right at the edge of the grass, then that's the depth I'm looking for. Or if I'm fishing in the middle of a um, a pond or a or bay, or I'm just if if I'm thinking redfish, probably going to be sight fishing, and I'm I'm just looking for that right depth where I can see where they want to be and, and stuff like that. So and then I, the the real can of worms is like, and that right depth could be different on different days. That's <laughs> you right. Know what I mean? You ain't lying. Yeah. Well, Some think, days they want to be stupid skinny. Some days they want to sit in three feet of water. Well, and I think too, then you throw in. You know, like talking about our tide swing, sometimes our tides are negative. They're yeah. super, super low. And then other days they're, you know, a positive one foot or whatever. Those areas have tons of water on them. Yeah. And tide never gets low is what we, you know, what we call low. Um, changes, ex- you know, changes the fish placement 100% of what they're looking for, where they want to go sit. Yeah. 